You are listening to the PBL Podcast, Politics and Brown Liquor. Your host here, Eve Vanderbilt, with his trusted canine co-host, Woody, where we bring it to you raw, unfiltered, with no chaser. All right, Woody, it is a Monday, so let's do a mishmash Monday. What do I mean by mishmash? Hell, I don't know. I just made it up. All right, we're just going to talk random stories about what's going on with the election. So it could be anything, anything that pops up. I've got a bunch of icons here, a bunch of stories sitting up in the browser. So let's just kind of go through them. Here's the first one. Smartmatic is in the news. Uh, not in the way that people probably would uh, realize it's in the news, but here it is. Uh, breaking, George Soros appoints Lord Mark Malik Brown, the former president, actually chairman, of Smartmatic to lead Open Society Foundation. That's right, that's right. The same Lord Mark Malik Brown, where I played a videotape of you, where he was in the Philippines saying that, oh, yeah, 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 we, we license product with Dominion. I mean, of course we do. And uh, the same Mark Malik Brown, who's the chairman of Smartmatic, who also at one point owned Sequoia, who sold it to Dominion. And remember, you know, Dr. Eric Coomer, he's that crazy leftist nuclear physicist that works at Dominion that is the one that says, I blanking made sure Donald Trump's not going to get elected. And then Smartmatic, oh, gosh, they're taking this PR hit now that, oh, you know, with all the election fraud, Smartmatic Dominion put out their fact sheets. And one of the fact sheets the, in Smartmatic's website, which they scrubbed, by the way, wonder why they scrubbed it. Interesting, isn't it? Well, anyway, they scrubbed this fact. And the fact that they put out was that uh, Lord Mark Malik Brown does not work for George Soros. Well, whoop-de-doo, he does now, doesn't he? Now, at the time, I said, oh, no, 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 it's not that he didn't work for Soros. He works with Soros. Well, I was wrong because now he works directly for George Soros because he was lead. He is now in charge of George Soros's open society. I applaud. This is from George Soros. He tweeted out. He tweeted this out. Unbelievable. They're, 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 they're doing it right out in the open now. Uh, I applaud Patrick Gaspard's leadership of the Open Society Foundations in a whole a world beset by illiberalism. What a weird thing to say. He says, I'm going to read that again. I applaud Patrick Gaspard's leadership of the Open Society Foundation in a world beset by illiberalism, meaning a world that's not liberal enough. Now, when we say liberal, we mean leftist. Mark Malik, and this is from his tweet going on. Mark Malik Brown, while B, will be Open Society's new president. He is deeply familiar with its work and shares my vision of philanthropy. So that's from the, the, the horse's ass, I mean mouth, right there. Uh, George Soros, just right out there. Yep, Lord Malik Brown works for me. And is convenient that Smartmatic scrubbed that little part from their facts check. And here's what it was called, Smartmatic Fact Checked. And they got it's at smartmatic.com slash US slash smartmatic dash fact dash checked backslash. So they took that little piece out. Well, <laughs> you wonder why. So now, um, Lord Mark Malik Brown. He is Open Society's new president. Open Society is that wonderful organization that Soros has given gobs and gobs of money to spread liberalism, i.e. leftism, globally. Now, this is the key part. 
I applaud Patrick Gaspard's leadership of the Open Society Foundation. Now, Patrick Gaspard and leadership in the Open Society's Foundation comes to an end. Why? Why does it come to an end? Well, it comes to an end because this guy is being looked at by the Biden team to be a labor secretary. That's right. That's right. The guy who was recently president of the Open Society Foundation has stepped away because it looks like, and it's not confirmed yet, I'll give him that, he's going to be in Joe Biden's campaign or administration. Is that cabinet? He's going to be in Joe Biden's cabinet. Joe Biden's cabinet. So here it is from the Washington Free Beacon, Soros non-profit. So here it is from the Washington Free Beacon, Soros nonprofit president departs, fueling speculation about a Biden appointment. This is from uh, Joe Shopstall, December 4th, 2020 is when this was written. The president of George Soros's vast nonprofit network is leaving his position to potentially join president-elect Joe Biden's administration, according to reports. Uh, Patrick Gaspard is stepping down as president of Soros Open Society Foundation, Axios reported Friday. The move has fueled speculation that Gaspard may be Biden's pick for labor secretary. That's right. That's right. Now, Gaspard goes on. He goes, I write to share with you that I will leave Open Society at the end of the year. Gaspard wrote to people within the organization after four profound years of service to this extraordinary institution and at a critical juncture for the democracy that is my home, I am compelled to charge once more unto the breach in a new political movement. Yeah. So this guy uh, allegedly is being eyed for uh, labor secretary in a Biden administration. And this is a guy who is the president of George Soros's Open Society Foundation. They're not even hiding it anymore. Right now, I mean, they don't even, they, they don't even pretend anymore that George Soros is in part of their tentacles in the, the Democrat Party. Because if it emerges now, that Patrick Gaspard now is going to be selected as the Labor secretary, well, he's got to go through confirmation, right? Well, will our weak GOP allow it to happen? Oh, look at our GOP right now. What do you think? Scary, isn't it? Scary. Right out in the open. Right out. They couldn't even wait until January 20th, allegedly, when Biden's going to be sworn in as president of the United States. Can't even wait till December 14th when he could potentially be actually labeled president-elect. They got to put it out right now. Isn't that amazing? I mean, here we have one of the, um, in my opinion, one of the most evil men in the world, George Soros. I mean, this guy's a real piece of work. You know, as a child, he sold out his fellow Jews so he can win favor with the Nazis. Yeah, yeah, go Google it. It's all over the place. I mean, maybe Google scrubbed it now because they're scrubbing so much information. By the way, I tried to go back on Smartmatic's uh, website using the Wayback Machine because back on November 26th, I believe, uh, I, I did a show where I talked about it and I read from Smartmatic's fact-checked and that's where I saw it said that uh, Lord Malik Brown does not work for George Soros. And I did a show about it, blah, blah, blah. So I went back in the Wayback Machine, and guess what? It wasn't there. It wasn't there. 
So who knows what's being scrubbed on the internet right now? I mean, it's getting harder and harder to find stuff. And I don't even use Google myself, but it's getting harder and harder to find information. So if, if even the Wayback Machine is being scrubbed, man, we got some problems. All right, let's talk about uh, the election going on right now. So Alito... Justice Alito is in the news. This from uh, the Epoch Times. Alito moves up Supreme Court deadline in key Pennsylvania mail-in ballot cases by Jack Phillips and Ivan Penchikotov, I guess, I don't know, December 6, 2020. Uh, U.S. Supreme Court Justice Samuel Alito asked officials in Pennsylvania to file briefs by the morning of December 8 in response to an emergency injunction petition filed by Republicans seeking to invalidate or rescind the results of the November 3rd presidential election in the Keystone State. Uh, that day is the safe harbor date. Talked about that on a previous episode. A deadline that requires controversy surrounding elections to be ended. So states can choose their electors before the December 14 meeting of the Electoral College. Alito initially called for response arguments by December 9th before moving the due date earlier by the day because of the safe harbor date. Uh, Alito also, if you recall, asked the state uh, of the Pennsylvania uh, election officials to set aside all the ballots that came in after the election day, November 3rd, 8 p.m. Now, I went back and I tried to find out how many of those ballots were set aside because what Alito was doing is he was signaling that those ballots uh, may not be legal ballots. Now, I'll explain that in a minute, but I went and tried to find how many there were. And again, this is our news media, so you can never get an honest answer out of the media. And so I couldn't find how many ballots were set aside? Several news organizations, uh, leftist organizations, said about 10,000. Well, if it's about 10,000, it's a moot point because even if those, ba- if it was only 10,000 ballots that came in after 8 p.m. December 3rd, uh, that's not enough to overturn the election. Now, you and I both know, well, if you're leftist listening or watching this, you don't know that uh, there were probably a lot more than that. I mean, probably a lot more than that. So if what Alito is signaling is those particular ballots. So Alito's like, you know, send this to me now so we can get this ball rolling. So kudos to uh, Sam Alito because he's actually acting. Now, if you go to the other states in question, let's go in Georgia, you know, the Supreme Justice, the court justice that's over that is Thomas Clarence. Mm-hmm. But I haven't heard anything from Clarence. I believe Amy Coney Barrett has Wisconsin and Kavanaugh has Michigan. So uh, <clears throat> right now, I, I, I'm waiting, like you, for the Trump administration to actually do something, to send something. What is going on? Where, where are the court cases? That's what we're all waiting on, and we haven't seen them yet, and that's problematic. So, Because we have so little time left, and until it, it, the, this is going to be resolved in the Supreme Court, because obviously our state legislatures have decided to not do their job to not challenge the status quo. So this is a good move, but whether it's enough, I don't know at this point in time. So let's hope that what Alito is doing makes a difference. So other news here, judge orders from a forensic audit of Dominion voting machines in Michigan. This is from PJ Media uh, by Matt Margolis. 
December 6, 2020. So the Trump campaign is celebrating a huge legal victory after Circuit Judge Kevin Eisenheimer, Elsenheimer, sorry about that, uh, said he would allow uh, investigators to conduct a forensic examination of 22 Dominion voting machines used on Election Day in Antrim County, Michigan. Our team is going to be able to go in this morning at about 8.30 a.m. and we'll be there for about eight hours to conduct forensic examinations and we'll have the results in about 48 hours and that'll tell us a lot about these machines, Trump, Trump election attorney Jenna Ellis told Fox News. Now also, if you haven't heard, Rudy Giuliani has been diagnosed with COVID-19. So he, this is going to put him out for a bit, but they'll still communicate. And, I, and we, I, uh, one of the reports that I saw that he was admitted into a hospital, what that means, nobody knows. It could be he's going in there for the advanced treatment that Trump got to kick this out of him so he can get back on the team fighting this for Trump because Giuliani is anything, he's a fighter. And the same with Jenna Ellis. She is a fighter. Lots of mucho respects for those two. My, my book. I don't care what other people think. I mean, Giuliani's just been getting ripped apart. Uh, I mean, so much so that I guess I didn't see this. Did you see it? Allegedly, he passed gas during one of the hearings. I didn't see it. And I didn't go looking for it because I don't really care. It doesn't change anything. Uh, I think Giuliani is tough as nails. And he is the right person because the way the media and the left, and again, I know, I know, I know, I repeat myself, have reacted to all of this. I mean, they're just vicious. The level of vitriol that has been leveled at this man, <clears throat> I'm not sure others can handle it. In fact, we know others can't. One legal team that worked for Trump in Pennsylvania was threatened, and uh, they pulled out because they were threatened. One of their legal team members was personally threatened because the left are psychotic, so they couldn't take the heat, and they bailed. Giuliani's tough. Giuliani's not going to let something like COVID-19 knock him down. So, uh, okay, then we fast forward over here to Forbes.com exclusive. The FBI is investigating voter data theft in this key 2020 election battleground. This is from Thomas Brewster. Uh, dated, uh, there is no date. Where's the date? Here, December 4th, 2020. On the morning of November 5th, as the 2020 election hung in the balance, Arizona federal agents raided a two-story house in Fountain Hills, Maricopa County, a county that had become a key battleground in the presidential race. The agents were looking for evidence of a cyber attack on an unnamed organization and stolen voter data. Uh, they left with eight hard drives, three computers, and a bag of USB sticks. Remember, you know, Dominion telling you that there's no open uh, port for USB sticks on their machines? Uh, here's where they misled you. Is Yeah, they may not be open ports. It means you just got to open, you know, um, unscrew a screw to open up the area where you can put in a USB cord. But they, they want you to think that there's no way that there is no USB ports, but they can't just come out and lie to you. So they have to say there's no open uh, USB ports. Yeah, that's because they got a cover on them. <clears throat> sleazy tactics from Dominion. They are a sleazy organization, in my opinion. Uh, the residents of the property, a 56-year-old IT expert named Elliot Kerwin, was served the warrant. He is not yet facing charges and was unreachable for comment at the time of publication. There is no indication that anything other than voters' information, which can be acquired for a few hundred dollars in Arizona counties, was taken from the affected office. So the FBI, they are on it like they were the Hunter Biden laptop. Yeah, yeah. So... 
Rest assured, the FBI is investigating. Rest assured, everybody, you, you are in good hands, just like we were when they got hold of the Hunter Biden laptop. Hmm. By the way, the owner of the shop that had Hunter Biden's laptop, uh, he's since closed up shop because of, oh, wait for it, death threats and harassment by the left. Oh, go figure, poor guy. And you remember the Giuliani's witness that everybody is trashing now? In fact, they've they gone so far now as to pull up old court cases on her. Uh, they, she was asked, why do not more people not come forward? She goes, I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. It's because my life is ruined. And the media actually went after her even after that. She said that, and they proved her point by bringing up an old case where something between her and an ex-boyfriend and, and the boyfriend's ex-wife or something. So, and you look at now what happened to the shop owner in the Hunter Biden laptop thing. He's since closed up shop because of the same thing, harassment. This is what they do. So why, do, why would anybody come forward and have their life ruined? I mean, it's amazing how evil the left is and the amount of vitriol that they will pour on people. It's just, it's, it's unconscionable, the level of hate that comes from the left. So, but don't worry, the FBI is investigating, just like they did the Hunter Biden laptop. I feel confident and comfortable knowing that we should hear about this in about five years. Okay, so now we got this other story. Here's another story. This is great. This is good. This is also from the Epoch Times. Georgia County can't find chain of custody records for absentee ballots. Oh, my goodness. Really? You can't find them? Hey, John, you got those custody records? Oh, Bob, I can't find them. I think you're in a hallway down in that filing uh, closet there. Oh, yeah, let's go check. Oh, no, can't find them. So here it is. Georgia's DeKalb County officials don't know if it's in possession of the ballot transfer forms used to record the chain of custody for absentee ballots dropped in some 300 drop boxes around the state. So a little background on that, right? Here in the state of Georgia, what a grand idea. They put drop boxes all through the state, right? 300 drop boxes. I mean, we're going to make it easy for people because of the COVID-19. See, because you don't want people mingling with each other. So you put these drop boxes. They put their ballots, you know, the ballots that are electing people to positions of power in our nation, one of those positions being the presidency of the United States. I mean, nothing big and fancy like that, right? Oh, yeah, wait a minute. I just said that it was presidency of the United States. Anyway, anyway, and, you know, senators and Congress critters and legislatures and yeah, dog catchers. I mean, nothing, no big deal. No big deal. We got these 300 drop boxes. They're safe. They're secure. We've got a process in place, so it has a custody chain. Nothing could go wrong except they can't find the chain of custody records for these in DeKalb County. You know, DeKalb County, if you're not familiar with DeKalb County, it's like Fulton County here in Atlanta or the Atlanta market. Uh, very, very left, very Democrat. And if people voted for Trump there, oh, that's, you know, just like in Fulton County. No way. Nobody voted for Trump in Fulton County or DeKalb. So what's the worry? What's the worry? Don't worry about it. Nothing to see here, folks. Nothing to see here. So in response to an open records request from the Georgia Star News for the forms, county officials wrote that it is not yet been determined if responsive records to your request exists. 
quote unquote, the Cab County, the Cab County Department of Voting, Registration and, El- and Election, VRE, are currently operating within its COVID-19 emergency response plan. Uh, these remote operations in VRE's current current workload greatly impact how soon responses records can be provided, uh, the response from the department stated. So in other words, just like the FBI investigation, we should see it maybe in a couple of years, maybe longer. I don't know, but it'll definitely be after January 20th, 2021. You know, this is just wonderful stuff, right? Just wonderful stuff. And uh, I know a lot of people are hanging their hat on an executive order that Trump did about uh, in the event foreign interference in our United States elections because, you know, Dominion was actually a company's headquarters out of Canada. Don't expect much to go there, folks. Don't expect much to go there. Look at, look at what's going on in our, our uh, uh, feckless leadership now. I mean, we are effectively becoming, in our eyes, right in front of us, a banana republic. Isn't it, isn't it sad? Sad. Here, from Just the News, John Solomon's excellent Just the News. Georgia has 250 open election integrity cases, State Bureau investigations to assist. Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffsenberger has more than 250 open investigations into voting irregularities in the 2020 election. Georgia Secretary of State Raffenberger has more than, he keeps repeating the same thing. Governor Brian Kemp approved the request for help on Friday, providing extra resources as Raffenberger's office also deals with two runoff elections slated for January 5th. Oh yeah, we're, we're, we're not worried about those at all. That will determine which party controls the U.S. Senate. In order for Georgians to receive a timely conclusion to these important investigations, I thank the secretary for formally requesting the GBI, that's the Georgia Bureau Investigation, assistance in order to provide additional manpower and resources, Kep said. Raffensperger said the expertise, experience, and manpower provided by the GBI will help us move more quickly through a process where time is of the essence. We will stop at nothing to guarantee that all Georgians can have faith in the integrity of our elections. So you would please vote for me again in 2022 to keep me Secretary of State. Well, Brad, I don't know, Brad. I'm a little worried about you, Brad. I mean, you said once that you wanted to make sure that all legal votes were were counted. I agree with you on that, Brad, but I want to hear you say that we're going to make sure there are no illegal votes added. That's what I want to hear, Brad. If I don't hear that, then I'm not so sure you're really... So anyway, we've got 250... Uh, election integrity integrity cases going on. Oh, safe Harbor date. Remember when I mentioned that earlier? Safe Harbor date, December 8th. That's when, in good faith, all the states have reconciled, resolved all their issues. Well, Brad's got 250 of these bad boys to resolve, right? But who wants, I mean, he's already certified the election. Uh, so Brad, could you, could you throw us a bone here? Can, can you tell us what's going on? Um, you know, we, we're just kind of concerned and we'd like to hear you know, maybe something that you're actually, you know, addressing these issues that so many millions of us have here in the state of Georgia. But Brad, you do you. Now, another news, and I'll have the story pulled up, but I'll put it in my show notes, is, you know, the former CEO of um, Overstock.com? He's a tech guy. Pretty accomplished guy. He's got a doctorate degree in this stuff, I guess. Uh, And, then you know, he's a pretty humble guy. I saw him in an interview where he said, hey, uh, Call me Patrick. Patrick uh, Byrne is his name. And uh, what he said was he hired a group of people. And I'll put the article in the interview that he did with, uh, he did one for Newsmax and OAN, OAN, America uh, News Network. Anyway, he basically said, 
ah, this is all suspect. We've looked at it, and there's like a you know, no chance that this is all in the up and up. And so he's spending his own money with uh, his own hackers to go in and uh, investigate all of this stuff. So, you know, and he said he is not a Trump supporter. He did not vote for Trump. He is a libertarian, small L, as he said. And he's doing this because of the integrity of our election. So I'll be curious to see what Dr. Patrick Byrne, and I know he wants to just be called Patrick, can come up with. But did you hear that? Did you hear that the former CEO of Overstock.com also has some questions on this and is digging around? So, you know, how? what are the chances? What are the chances that we will see something from him earlier then we'll see from the FBI. <laughs> Don't answer that, really. Don't answer that because we know the answer to that is we're going to see something from him uh, a lot sooner than we'll see from the FBI. All right, here's uh, in other news. Uh, Justice Department sues Facebook for discrimination against the American worker. Uh, I know it's off the election stuff, but come on, let's, we get, there's tons of other news out there. Let's, let's delve into this, and then we'll go ahead and wrap up the show for today. Uh, the Department of Justice is suing Facebook, claiming that the social media giant discriminates against U.S. workers. No, get out. Not, not Facebook. The arbiters of fact checkers. Uh, the Department of Justice lawsuit alleges that Facebook engaged in, in intentional and widespread violations of the law by setting aside positions for temporary visa holders instead of considering interested and qualified U.S. workers. Get out. No way, said Assistant Attorney General Eric S. Dryban of the Civil Rights Division, said in a news release. Uh, this lawsuit follows a nearly two-year investigation into Facebook's practices and a reasonable cause determination by the Justice Department's Civil Rights Divisions. He said, our message to workers is clear. If companies deny employment opportunities by illegally preferring temporary visa holders, the Department of Justice will hold them accountable. Our message to all employers, including those in the technology sector, is clear. You cannot illegally prefer to recruit, consider, or hire temporary visa holders over U.S. workers. Now, you know why they do, don't you? Of course you do. You guys are smart. Uh, money. Because the, the job that they would have to pay for an American worker would be a lot more money than they would have to pay for a foreign worker. And it says it here in the article, in this, this uh, paragraph. The lawsuit focused on about 2,600 positions that Facebook set aside for temporary visa holders sponsored through the permanent labor certification process. Cited in the complaint against Facebook, Facebook as PERM, the jobs average 156000 per year in salary. So they can... Um, pay these people, these um, foreigners, less. Now, they have, to, they have to actually, what they have to do is they have to post it, by the way. If they do this, they have to post it, that they're doing this, and they have to post the salary that they're paying the other people, or these visa, these uh, H1, what is it, H1 visas, whatever they are. So what Facebook is doing is what a lot of companies do, especially tech companies. And again, I have nothing wrong with, um, people coming in and coming in on these types of visas to doing work here in America. I have nothing wrong. I have nothing at, with that against that at all. These temporary visa holders, nothing. If they can qualify to come here and work, more power to them. I'd rather them coming here working for us than in their hometown, really their home country. I mean, we want to get that kind of uh, brain talent in America. Let's get it. 
let's get it. But be honest and upfront. If you're doing this to cut cost, which is why most of these tech companies do this. And by the way, I mean, I got a large audience in uh, India. Go figure. Uh, they're, they're undercutting you. They're, you know, if you're coming to America on one of these temporary visas, they're paying you less than they would have paid an American worker. You should ask for more money. Don't let them do that. That's why they're doing it. They're doing it to cut costs. And now people are like, oh, but Facebook, they got so much money. Why would they need to cut costs? Are you kidding me? You know, you, I don't care who you are, what you do, um, uh, what company, if you work for a major company, there are the accountants that are constantly going through the numbers looking for uh, numbers to cut, if need be. I mean, the way it works in business, big business especially, I mean, big companies is they have, they put together their P&Ls and they, their bottom line is what they got to meet, the profitability. And what they will do is if they can grow it by improving their services or growing their services, then that's how they'll do it. If they can, they can get to that bottom line number by cutting in their P&L, in the body of the work, that's how they'll do it. Wherever they can make a cut, that'll achieve the results that they desire, which are the bottom line profitability. So let's say there's this, I don't know, worldwide pandemic. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just you know, pulling it out of the air. I mean, come on. We know that's not going to happen, right? We know there's not going to be this worldwide pandemic that shuts everything down. I mean, it's just not going to happen. So, but let's say it does. Let's say it does. All of these companies have these balance sheets that are already been approved, that are already, you know, their P&Ls are already done. And now they got to figure, oh crap, because of this, uh, um, this fantasy of a worldwide pandemic that could potentially happen, but we know it's not, right? Uh, all of these companies are going, how do we get to that bottom line number that we already put forth as our plan, whether or not they have to, you know, send it to stockholders, whoever has to, you know, benefits from this, proves it, whatever. They start looking at costs. If you got what's going on right now in the world, companies are going to look at cutting costs because they have to in order to survive. They have to. The bottom line is what matters most. And in order to get to the bottom line, you sometimes cut costs. And the number one cost, remember, I was in this world for a long time. I managed P&Ls for a long time. And I used to say this all the time. The easiest line to cut is payroll, is labor. The hardest line to move is top-end services, sell more product. If I sold more product, I made more money, therefore I made more profit, and therefore I was able to increase my labor costs. If my product line suffered and I was not hitting those top-end numbers, I needed to find places to cut in the body of the profit and loss sheet to meet my bottom line numbers, and the easiest number to cut is labor. Uh, I used to say this all the time. It's not labor is the easiest number to cut. The The real challenge is driving that top end revenue. Labor is easy. You know, I can cut X amount of labors and boom, it goes straight to my bottom line. Now, what do I do? I cut my nose off to spite my face because when I cut labor, I potentially can hurt my top end revenue because now I got less people or less qualified people to sell my products and services. So, but that's not what Facebook is doing here. What Facebook is doing, because it's a big tech giant, is they're bringing in brains from outside, paying them less so they don't have to pay American workers that. It's simple as that. Uh, 
It's a budgetary item for them. They don't care about the people. So if you are one of the brain drains coming from another country and you're listening to this, uh, negotiate for more money. Here's a little trick, by the way is that person on the other end of the table where you're negotiating a salary is just as nervous as you are in asking for more money. In fact, they hope you don't ask for more money because they don't know how to answer it. Or in some cases, they can't answer it. I remember when I used to negotiate people's salary and I'd sit down and go, all right, here's where it is. This is non-negotiable. Either you take it or you don't. And at least we've got it right, right up front out of the way. But most people don't do that. Most people are afraid to talk about money. So if you're coming into our country on a temporary visa, negotiate for more money. All right. Well, thank you for listening to this segment of the PBL, the Monday Mash, if you will, of the PBL Podcast Politics and Brown Liquor. We have got a very important week in front of us. The Trump administration needs to shit or get off the pot this week. This is the week. We need to see things happening. If we don't see things happening, the Electoral College meets on Monday, December 14th. If they cast their votes and Biden gets 270, then a whole different avenue has to happen in order to overcome or get Biden out. But it will not, at that point in time, involve President Trump. Because once the electorals vote, and they cast enough votes for one candidate or the other to become the president. They are officially the president of the elect. There still is no office of the president-elect, by the way. They are officially the president-elect, and now it's tied to the Constitution, and it would have to be a process within the Constitution to remove them, and that would be through impeachment, either resignation or impeachment. So it's interesting. It's interesting to think of what's going to happen between December 14th and January 20th because it's not going to end. There's still going to be a lot of firework and it's going to be one hell of a ride. Again, thanks for listening to this episode of the PBO podcast, Politics and Brown Liquor. Woody, my canine sidekick, appreciate you. And he just wanted to say, again, thanks for listening to Politics and Brown Liquor.